0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper Podcast. Today is Sunday, March 14th. My name is Patrick Hayes, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Caleb Jenks. And tonight, we are going to talk about holding other Christians accountable. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Caleb, why did we get on this topic tonight? Was it because we researched it and studied (laughs) and prepared for so long? Now, no, this was a topic we wanted to talk about for a little while, but we decided to scrap our original topic uh, this evening and move it back a week because we wanted to get a little bit more research done before we jumped in. We're going to talk about holding other Christians accountable. So, Caleb, I'm going to start by bringing up a list of your shortcomings that I think you need to fix. Okay, yeah, go ahead. <laughs>
1: might have a bad camera connection here if we get cut off i'll I'll tune back in shortly tell me what you think about this caleb well what do you think the problem is it's really interesting i was talking to a friend of mine the other night the guys from our church had dinner at a at a restaurant uh once a year we have this dinner on uh friday night before our pancake breakfast that we have on saturday mornings the guys go to sam's club push shopping carts around and then we go and eat. We had some Cajun food and it was pretty good. That sounds good. But we were yeah, it was a, it was a fun time. But we were uh sitting there at the table and I was uh discussing the idea of uh discipleship, church discipline, holding each other accountable and how does this kind of thing work? And I think it would be easier for churches in almost any other uh, time or geographical location than we are here in America, because my response by default as a mm-hmm. American Christian is, son of your business, <laughs> you know, butt out. Um, when somebody tries to confront me, it's, it's, you know, I don't make it easy on them because of my attitude. And the, the interesting thing about this is, is that when Jesus comes back for his bride, we are invited to join his kingship, his kingdom. And we don't, uh, we obviously don't get any say in how, how we run the show. It's not a democracy. And so as Christians, when we are invited to join his kingdom here on earth, we're really committing to opening ourselves up to live his way, not our way. We really shouldn't think we still get a vote, but unfortunately we live as such. And then when somebody imposes on our freedom as a Christian, oftentimes I think we end up reacting as a, um, uh, I wonder sometimes if our freedom as American comes first before our religion as a Christian. Sometimes we don't realize that that capitalism or free market ideas, these types of um, ideologies, can become a religion that we end up believing in more so than our faith in Christ. And those things really the rubber meets the road when when there is confrontation when somebody calls us out on our on our sin and and tries to hold us accountable. So I think it's a it's a relevant topic to, to be on because I don't like to be on either end of this topic. It's just uncomfortable. It gets messy. It gets, um, you get into sticky situations and what the Bible says about it and what we do about it are oftentimes two drastically different things. So I was going to bring up a list of Patrick's shortcomings here, and I'm not sure where to start, but now I'm just kidding. Let um, me
0: get my wife on. We can, we can. Oh yeah. She'll, the list. She'll have it. Right she'll she'll have that on on speed dial. Yeah, it's tallied. She's got a running list.
1: Well, have you um it seems like you and I discussed this sometime back because there was a situation there. There's been situations that have, have arose on my end here where mm. um there was problems that came up that biblically I felt like I was required to say something or do something, but then it's not the popular thing to do, it's not the nice thing to do. And so Patrick and I have had uh, casual conversations from time to time over the last couple of years on this. Uh, you, didn't you end up confronting some people there a couple of years ago about... Uh, yeah, so let morality? Me, uh,
0: let me get a verse up here and put it in the comments. Okay, so you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter five. And if you go down to verse 11, so this is...
1: But can we stick with? I don't know. I hate to go there. That's kind of a hard scripture. Why don't we go with like Jesus loves you just the way you are? Uh there's there's nicer verse. I mean, got to bring that one up right off the top.
0: Yeah, this is well, <clears throat> and let me just tell you why this is the case. Well, let's just look at this verse. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called the brother be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one no, not to eat. I was confronted with this verse just through reading my Bible, and the Lord really hit me with this. I had an issue that came up, and, and the issue was about two couples who were friends of mine. The one couple, boy and a girl who were dating. The other couple, another boy and a girl who were dating. What
1: could possibly go wrong? A boy and a girl dating, right?
0: Yeah. Well, and see here. Okay, so here's here's the thing. When you read down this list, and you, you have to start out by understanding that this is talking about someone who calls themselves a brother. So we're only talking about saved people. If you have a friend who is saved, and considers themselves a Christian. And they end up being one of these things, fornicator, covetous, idolater, railer, drunkard, extortioner, with such an one no, not to eat. You are not to sit down and have a meal with this person. So I all of a sudden had a problem because these two couples crossed a line now, Caleb, let me ask you this. Do you know any non-married couples who are Christians? Yes. Okay. Do you think any of them are having sex before marriage? Uh, I'd say probably at least half of them are. (laughs) (laughs) And we laugh at that because that's not supposed to be the case. But unfortunately- Depends people... on where you,
1: where you define the line. You know, they're all doing it, but they're not doing it.
0: Okay. Probably, so- you know, they, they have yeah, their let's, <laughs> let's just- Leave, leave it there. That, yeah, we'll leave it right okay. there. Now, understand, this is the problem that I have. Now, all of us are supposed to obey this verse. Do you agree, Caleb? This verse is for every single Christian. It's not just for- Except for the nice ones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's if you're not, a
1: nice one, you
0: could avo- avoid this, right? I mean, but if you're a real mean stickler of an SOB like right. Patrick is, then this verse is for me to to deal with. So, this verse is for every Christian, but that
1: SOB stands for uh, super obstinate spiritual
0: born, right? officer of the Bible.
1: <laughs> okay, there you go. Just wanted to make sure we were clear that we, we are yep. not insinuating anything yeah. questionable on this podcast, never.
0: I've had lots of friends who were couples who were not married, who were saved, who I went to church with, who I would go to a Bible study with. And I really didn't have a reason to believe that they were or were not engaging in premarital sex, which the Bible calls fornication. But these two couples did something where all of a sudden, it was obvious they moved in together. Keep in mind, when we go over this list, I'm not searching out to try to find out and figure out whether these people are fornicating or not. That's not my you're job. Not the, I'm not- You're not the Christian CIA. No, I'm not the Christian Bible de- you know detective. That's not my job. But when all of a sudden that happened, I was thinking, this is kind of hard not to have to deal with now because it's obvious. And I actually had someone say, well, how do you know, you know, they're sleeping together. And I'm like, you are now too dumb to talk to. I can no longer (laughs) ask your opinion when a boy and a girl move in together who are dating, who are considering getting married, you're going to look me in the eye and tell me that they're sleeping in separate bedrooms or something? Give me a break. No, I don't believe that. So now I'm confronted with this issue because the Bible commands me to not eat with such a person. Caleb, I have had lots of Christian friends who have moved in together And I knew we're living together. I mean, for crying out loud, some of them got pregnant and had a kid before they got married. So it's it's not a question. I know they are fornicating. But it didn't matter because I wasn't really friends with them. I wasn't going to share a meal with them. We just didn't hang out. I knew them. But this verse didn't apply because I didn't have to change my behavior around them. But these two couples I was friends with And would hang out with somewhat regularly. So now it's a problem because I know that I am not allowed to have a meal with them. And I didn't want it to just come up one day when they asked if we could get together and hang out and have dinner. So I said to myself, you know what, Patrick, you got to go and talk to them. You got to go and deal with this head on, go and talk to them, explain the Bible verse. Tell them the situation that you're in now. It's a difficult situation, and and what you have to do. This was the first time that I was going to go and do this, and it was funny because Caleb, didn't I call you about this?
1: Yeah, yeah, you okay. did.
0: Okay, I called at least three or four of my friends who I, you know, love and respect as as Christian brothers who know the Bible well. And then after I talked to them, I figured I'd call Caleb and see what he thought. <laughs>
1: I was wondering how I ended up with Luke and
0: Luke. That makes sense. <laughs> and I called a bunch of people because I was wondering if anyone had ever done this and how it went and what advice they could give me.
1: You Lo and the behold. The
0: fornicating thing or? <laughs> no. The confrontation of the fornicators. Oh, okay. Now, okay. if you can believe it, no one had ever done this before. And I went over it with everybody and I said, but that's what the Bible says, right? I can't get around it. It's clear. And everyone agreed. Now, I was going over it with them because I was saying, look, that you know, this is my plan. This is what I feel like I have to do. What do you think? You know, How do you think this is going to go? So, Caleb, when I brought this up to you, tell me what your thoughts were on the subject.
1: Well, I think if I remember right, I told you to wear your jerks for Jesus shirt while you had the conversation (laughs) just to help break the ice when you first brought it up. No, it was, it was, uh, it was a very timely conversation because we were going through, um, some situations on, on our end down here, a thousand miles away in Texas, where, um, I was around multiple couples that were Christians that were doing the deed. And I was, Mm -hmm. um, eating with them, going to church with them, doing things with them. And, of course, the good Christian thing to do is just be quiet and pretend like you don't notice, right?
0: Ignore it. Head in the sand. Yep, Just boom. Jam that head right (laughs) into the sand. La, 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 (laughs) la. Cover your eyes.
1: Yeah, so Patrick brought it up. And, of course, for me, the, the first thing that I thought is, well, isn't there, isn't there some way that you can just politely not eat with them without them (laughs) noticing? I mean, just tell them, "Ah, I'm kind of antisocial, you know,
0: until you get married.
1: Yeah. Once you get married, I'll, I'll be more social. And I think, didn't we even discuss that you said, well, you know what, maybe I'll just not eat with them, not invite them. And if it gets brought up, I'll let them be the ones to bring it up and then I'll explain. And is that the route that you ended up taking or?
0: No, no. And it's, and it's so funny because Caleb's first thoughts were thoughts that I had too, which was basically, how do I get out of this? Right. How do I not do this? How do I not do this thing that God very clearly commands me to do? It's not ambiguous. How do I get out of it? And really, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to, because like I said, these were friends of mine that I would be around a lot. And here's the problem. It doesn't just say not to eat with them. It says, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. As I said, my job as a Christian is not to be the detective and try to figure out who is a fornicator, who is covetous, who's an idolater, who's a railer, who's a drunkard, who's an extortioner. But you could switch careers because there's churches that would probably <laughs> hire you. I'm <No>, just kidding. <laughs> But when it's obvious and it's kind of right in front of you now, there's no question we know this is the case. You, you got to understand, there are going to be people who mess up and make a mistake and they end up fornicating. They end up being covetous. They end up being an idolater. They end up being a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. It's not talking about the Christian who is trying to do right and wants to do God's will and messes up. It's talking about the Christian that is just fine being a fornicator. <laughs> it's the one that's fine being a drunkard. We're not talking about the one who doesn't really drink and one time they decide for whatever reason they're going to have a bunch of drinks and they get drunk and they do something stupid and and they feel like an idiot. Okay, and this is the first time they've ever been drunk, and the, and it's it's not their pattern, it's not their lifestyle. They are not deliberately ignoring the commands of God. They did something stupid, and they messed up, and they sinned. That's what we all do. We're talking about the people who are like, nope, this is the way I'm living. So this is what I had. I talked to Caleb. We tried to figure out how it was going to go, and and I think we both kind of said, well, it's going to go poorly. We're just not sure (laughs) how poorly it's going to go. So I ended up going over or calling up these two couples, and I was going to meet with one of them at like 9 a.m. and one of them at 11. I decided, nope, I'm getting them both done in the same morning. I'm getting this over with. No matter how it goes, I just want it to be done. So then what happened? was i i went over there i said hey guys here's what's going on and i brought my bible and i said i need to talk to you about something in the bible and i brought up this verse and i said now look i know you guys have been dating for a while i know you guys are talking about getting married and i said but once you guys moved in together well now i know that fornication is going on you guys are my christian brothers and sisters And the Bible commands me, it puts me in a difficult, your actions put me in a difficult spot. And now I'm not allowed to keep company with you. I'm not allowed to eat with you. And I said, so this is the deal. I hate to bring this up, but you know, I am, I am more scared of disobeying God than I am hurting your feelings. So this is what I'm doing. We're still friends. I still love you guys. We can talk on the phone. We can text message. We can, I'm fine if I see you at church, okay? I'm fine if I see you at a Bible study, okay? Because you're going there for something that is important to you. I'm going there for the same reason. That's fine, okay? It's like if we saw each other at a movie theater. I'm not gonna not go there, but I can't keep company with you. I can't eat with you. So we cannot hang out. We can't, you know, I'm not going to hang out with you after church. I'm not going to go have lunch with you after church. We can't do any of that stuff. It's just, it's not okay until you guys either stop this or you get married. They had some questions and they were, you know, it was about as awkward as you would expect, but honestly, they really, I think they respected me and my position, even though it was difficult and awkward. So I leave, and then I go over to my other friend's house. Now he was by himself; his his girlfriend was at work. So I just sat down and had the conversation. Oh, so you with hit him. two and you hit two in one day. Two in one day. Well, and your, this was your funny. Ambition. Okay, this this was funny because my second friend he actually brought it up to me that his girlfriend was gonna move in with him, and he was kind of feeling me out for what I thought. And I said, well, you know what I think. And he said he was really struggling because kind of in his place of business and in his social circles, people knew him as a Christian guy that was a spiritual kind of guy. And he was feeling guilty for doing this, knowing what he was supposed to do and what people would think. Right. And I said, well... Then don't do it. He's like, what, don't feel guilty? I said, no, dummy. (laughs) I said, don't move in together. I said, the Bible says what it says. We can't get around that. You know what it says, which is why you're feeling guilty. And you're trying to figure out a way to not feel the guilt and shame. Well, guess what? God built that into us. Guilt and shame are good motivators. We feel it when we step out of line. So anyway, he, uh, he decided that's what he was going to do. Anyhow, they moved in together. I met with them. Like I said, that same day, which was only a week later. Uh, and, uh, I talked to him, had the same conversation. He understood. Now, after that, I had several phone calls asking and clarifying things and, you know, follow up, whatever's, and I can tell you this. I am still good friends with all of those people. We really only had a couple days of some awkwardness where, you know, some questions were there as far as, well, how does this work? And how does that work? And, you know, and in the end they're like, well, when can we hang out again? I was like, that's simple. One, stop fornicating Two, get married either one of those. And we can hang out again. That's all it takes. And they're like, well, how do you know if we're not fornicating? I was like, I don't. Just tell me you're not. Right? <laughs> don't lie to me. But that's all it takes. It's not like there's any test. You don't have to prove anything to me. Just understand that if you're lying to me, you are causing me to disobey God's commands. So I would appreciate it, you know, if you would be honest with me. And that worked out. Uh, it wasn't more than, I don't know, a couple weeks, maybe a month. And my friend came to me and he said, Hey, uh, you don't need to worry about that anymore. You know, God dealt with us and convicted us about that. And we, we changed and, uh, you know, they even picked a date for, uh, the wedding and I, I was at their wedding and it was, and we're still good friends. They've since. it's a good, good reason to our- have,
1: it's a good reason to have the reception meal after the wedding ceremony.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so every all the Christians can feel comfortable being there yeah e- eating so, with the, <laughs> eating with the bad yeah. <laughs> they've since been over to our house many times we are still friends we love each other they still they look up to me and respect me and respect me as a Christian even though we had a terribly difficult and awkward time going through that now I will tell you this. There are plenty of Christians that I'm friendly with, but you know they don't come to my house. We don't hang out together. So we're never going to have a meal or, or really hang out where if I went to them, they would not receive it the same way. But the people that received it well were the people that already knew I loved them. There, there was no doubt whatsoever that Patrick Hayes loved them and wanted the best for them. And because of that, we were able to have that conversation and honestly, even if it did go horribly wrong, it, do, it didn't change the fact that the Bible said what it says in First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, and I was responsible for my part. At the end of the day, I went through with it, did the best I could. And, and I tell everyone whenever this comes up and I relay the story, it's going to be awkward. There's no way around it being awkward and uncomfortable. There's going to be some of that. But we're still going to do the right thing, which is obey God and the command that he gave us. Okay, Caleb, jump on in, ask me some questions, tell me what so, you think, and, and well, go I ahead. Think <laughs> Try to top that as far as a controversial, uncomfortable story for Jesus.
1: I don't know if um, if I've always handled it as graciously or as good as you did. This brings up a, a point that I thought was interesting that you just made. And and all these people, first, they already knew that you loved them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think that that has to be the prerequisite. We have to be loving Christians ahead of dealing with confrontation like this, where you're confronting sin in the body, because. Um, it's kind of hard to go to somebody and, and say out of one side of your mouth, I love you, and out of the other side uh, of your mouth, tell them God hates what you're doing and I can't have anything oh, to yeah. do with you eat together. How do they feel the love at that point? So Ephesians 4 uh, 15 says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And if Patrick would have tried to just go and speak this in love, uh, and there, I think there is a way to, to speak things in a loving way, but part of that, Speaking the truth in love is is to love somebody enough to have a relationship with them, even though you know they're in sin. Have enough uh, care for them that you get to know them and and show some care and concern aside from just pointing out their flaws. So I think that I think you've got that right, and I probably could learn something from you on that because there's been times where things came up. Sometimes they were close friends, and they knew that I loved them. Sometimes it wasn't uh, close friends, and I hadn't really spent the time of day to really get to know them. All I knew is that they're that they're they were living in sin, and when I confronted them, um, it was hard for me to convince them that I was trying to speak the truth in love because I had never really taken the time of day to to have a conversation with them outside of this confrontation. The, it is interesting to me that immediately as soon as you confront somebody, you Automatically, are the the first target for them to go after, and this this seems to be a common a common deflection outside of Christianity inside of cre- Christianity. It's a it's a defensive maneuver. As soon as somebody brings it up, I mean, if you if you point out somebody else's flaw, the first thing they want to say is, "Well, you have flaws too," you know. <laughs> get the, get the beam out of your own eye before you start trying to pick specks out of my eye. You know, that's the first line of defense is to first try to point out the fact that somehow you were imperfect about it. There was a situation that came up, um, in our community here recently where there was someone from another church that called sin out or called, um, ungodliness out in, in another person's life and immediately, and, and they didn't go to the same church. But immediately, the finger was pointed back at that church of them being too judgmental, them maybe not using the right method to go about pointing this out, and it makes me think, okay, so the the role if the roles were reversed, um, and they'd use the opposite method that was being suggested, I'm pretty confident that they would have said, "Oh, you shouldn't use that. You should have done it the other way." <laughs> uh, I yeah, mean, it's like, there's there's no way to win in some of these. People are going to become defensive and we're going to probably discuss this on another, on another episode, but there is a difference between resolving a conflict in church and, and calling out sin in the church <laughs> and resol- resolving conflict where somebody has sinned against you or they've wronged you is different than dealing with an issue where somebody is a Christian living in sin and they're not sinning against you. If uh, you look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it says moreover, if, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go, and tell him his fault between thee and him alone if he shall hear thee thou hast gained thy brother I'll just stop there so obviously we're supposed to go go to them and then it gives the process and it's it's not a terribly complicated process but it's it's this it's this process where you go through and you try to restore them gently and if they if they won't hear you then you take another brother then you eventually bring it to the church if you look at first Timothy uh, chapter 5 verse 20 it says them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. This is talking about dealing with uh, a sin issue in the church. Uh, this is a pretty bad sin issue that was going on here, <laughs> but uh, it it is it is interesting that dealing with sin in the church as a fellow Christian, we really aren't. It's not a real complicated process. We yes, we have to speak the truth in love, uh, but if they haven't sinned against you personally. And you're going to try to figure out how to follow a, a verse uh, like what Patrick posted here, as far as not keeping company with somebody. And I don't think there's necessarily a real complicated path. It's not necessarily like initially you're not the offending party. They, they're, the one that made it, they're the one that made it awkward. So yeah, you can, you can try and try to figure out how to get out of it, how to do it perfectly. And most likely they're going to get offended it's going to be messy they're probably not going to think that you like them at the moment but eventually they'll probably they'll probably come around and or or maybe they won't and really who cares it's a biblical mandate there's been times where it was not only a brother in the church but it was a relative and sure. a, you know a relative and a Christian, or it's like okay, yeah. well I still got I still got to love them because they're fu- they're my family, or you know whatever whatever the situation is, we can come up with all these excuses why somebody else should be the one to do it, why why we're exempt from this, and the thing is, is pretty soon we're doing the same exact thing that they're doing. We're we're walking in disobedience to God, which is really the problem with what they're doing. They're blatantly walking in disobedience to God, and then we go right along with it and we say, all right, we're just going to turn a blind eye. And next thing you know, we got churches. Full of idolaters, full of people that are hooking up on Sunday afternoon after they leave church with people they're not married to, and the rest of the world sees it. The witness for Christ is terrible, Mm -hmm. and yet we're 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 like, oh no,
0: I'm too nice to do this. You know, I want to. I don't want to lose a friend. You know, Caleb, you've you've brought this idea up many times, where you said if Christians don't obey the Bible, then it makes churches into just another social club. At the end of the day, obeying the Bible is the only thing we have. Without that, we're no different than the rest of the world. That's the whole goal, the whole reason we do this thing. We have to obey the Bible, and that's what makes us different. You know how God commands us to be a strange and peculiar people and to come out from among them and be separate? How do you think you do that? It's easy. Obey the Bible. You will be weird. You will be strange. Everyone will look at you and think you are odd. Just obey the Bible. Now that it's not easy, but that's that's our job. Right?
1: Well, uh <coughs> how how would you say that how would you say that you see this played out normally in in your in Christian circles? I it, it was hard for me to really know how to deal with a situation like this because I have older brothers in the Lord, more mature Christians that have chosen to take the path of least resistance with a lot of these situations and just turn the blind eye to it. Then obviously somebody like me, I come off as the Bible thumper. <laughs> We're the, we're the idiot that couldn't keep our mouth shut because we saw something. I'll just give you a, a, a little, for instance, there was something that came yeah. up recently down, down here where there was, um, where there was a, a Christian who I know is baptized born again, believer that made himself known to the community as a drunkard. And he, he actually moved away, was baptized in our church, moved away, came back to visit he tried to cover his tracks and he was pretty sloppy and left other people to try to cover up, you know, in the wake of his of his mess, uh, went into somebody's house and puked all over and left his mess, then got in his vehicle and drove off drunk. And I haven't confronted this situation yet. I, I have written a text message out that I was going to send and I'm like, well, maybe I should call him in person. How do you deal with a situation like this? And the thing is, is this is part of discipleship. I can say, well he's not part of our church anymore. He moved on. He, I, I don't know if he goes to church somewhere else. Um, Hopefully he's okay. Hopefully this is just a one, you know, one-time slip up. And how does this, how does this reflect on, on us as a church and our witness for Christ when we, when we bring people into the, into the kingdom of God? And then when they, when they become drunkards, we just say, ah, We'll just pass the buck, you know, let somebody else deal with it, and that's really what that's really what most people do. They're like, well, he's he's a backslidden Christian. I'm not going to say anything, but if he's still a profess- professing Christian, in this case, you know, he's now married. Uh, same guy, I've I've known him to have other other issues before, but he's now married, and so those those issues are taken care of. And so, how do you how do you confront somebody like this without being the jerk? And I, I literally haven't confronted him yet because I don't want to be the jerk, and I know I'm going to be the jerk as soon as I do. <laughs> And I want to be the, you know, I want to be the nice guy. And instead, here I am
0: not willing to confront sin head on. Let me ask you this, Caleb. What has the Lord really called us to do or commanded us to do that's easy? Follow me here. We brought this up a while ago. I don't remember what podcast, but the point was this. Caleb, would you agree that the majority of the people in your church do not steal. They don't shoplift. They don't steal from stores or people. Would you agree with that? Right. Now, do you believe that they are all not stealing because in Exodus chapter 20, it says thou shalt not steal, or do you think they're all not stealing because they don't want to get caught and go to jail?
1: Yeah, there's, I, I'd say there's a good majority of them that haven't read chapter 20 of Exodus. Okay, so... Maybe not a good... But there's, there, there's some of them that certainly
0: wouldn't have. The point is this. They are not stealing. They are not thieves. They are not burglars. Does that make them obedient to God? No, not see, necessarily. Yeah, see, they happen to be doing what the Bible says, but not because the Bible says so, because they have other motives. They don't want to get caught. They don't want to get arrested. They don't want the humiliation. They don't want to pay the fines. They don't want the jail time. That's why they're not stealing. Now, right. the point is obedience is only obedience when it's tested. If you come across something in the Bible and God says, thou shalt not steal, and you're already in agreement, sounds good, God. That's easy. It's easy. Right. When God gives you a command, when you come across in the Bible and that command is contrary to the way that you live your life, now is when we're going to see if you're an obedient Christian. All the hundred other places where you do what the Bible says, but you did it already, that doesn't make you an obedient Christian. Where you find obedience is where it is tested. It is only in the difficult things. We are obedient when we stop an activity that we really enjoyed doing, but God said not to do it. We are obedient Christians when we do what God said, even though we really don't want to do it. That's when we're obedient Christians. Outside of that, we're not. Jesus said this. Do you remember when Jesus said this? Jesus says, who are we supposed to pray for? We are supposed to pray for those who despitefully use us. We're supposed to pray for our enemies, right? Right. And then we read in the Bible where it says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your father, which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemies. You remember when it says, oh, you do good to your brother? So do the pagans. They do that, right? right? That's the whole idea. Oh, you love your brother? So do the pagans. You pray for your brother? So do the pagans. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Jesus is essentially saying, oh, you don't steal from a store because you don't want to go to jail? Big whoop. That doesn't impress me. Go and obey me where it's difficult to do and I'll be impressed. That's my thought with the whole thing is if it's not a challenge, (laughs) in the same way, Caleb, loyalty is only loyalty when it's tested. So right. <laughs> follow me here. If we had to boil down being a husband to one command, what does God tell us that we have to do to our wives? What's the one big command that he gives us? Love, love your wives. Love your Christ wives the church. as Christ right. loved the church. So when Christ went to the cross, did he go to the cross for people that deserved it? No. No. Did he go to the cross uh, for uh, people when they were lovable, when they were wonderful? No. He went to the cross for us in our wicked, sinful, horrible state. And Christ says, You husbands are to love your wives like I loved you. Doesn't matter how. Your wife acts. It doesn't matter if she's lovable. It doesn't matter if she deserves it. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. You're to love her. In the same way, if we had to boil down the commands given to the wife, what's the the one command? Same chapter, same book, Ephesians chapter five. Husbands, love your wives. Wives do what?
1: Love, Love your husbands. Nope. I'm sorry. I'm submit yourselves to your husband. There you go.
0: Yeah. Now it doesn't say when your husband is doing something intelligent, it doesn't say when he is leading you in a direction that you agree with. And that's the problem. Do you know that loving your wife doesn't count except for when it's hard to do? It doesn't count when you want to love her. God says you have to love her when she is unlovable. Do you know that submission doesn't count until you don't want to submit? That's when it matters. And it's the same thing for all of us Christians all the time. What matters is when God tells us, do this, and we're like, man, I really don't want to do that. I'll do two of these other things and we'll let someone else do that one because that's hard and I, it's uncomfortable and I don't want to do it. Tell me what you think of that. Am I crazy? No,
1: I mean the the interesting thing about this is I've been I've been on the receiving end of of people I think pretty close to perfectly or imperfectly trying to point out flaws in my in my life. It's hard for me to think of of this aside from aside from my wife or from you know people that you're close to it's, sure. it's usually not just random strangers or, or people obviously from church that, will, that will point out a flaw or that know you well enough to realize that what you're doing is is not in accordant according to god's word you're not mm-hmm. walking according to god's word um and i know sometimes sometimes we can jump at the opportunity but i think that you can definitely tell when somebody when somebody's doing something because they have it out to get you they're mad at you sure they or when they're walking in obedience to God's word. And, and I think that the, the situation that you explained here, where you went to a brother and you said, listen, this is the chapter, this is the verse, this is what I'm commanded to do. I don't want to do this, but I simply am your friend, but we can't eat together anymore. I mean, yeah, it's an awkward conversation to have, but I don't think that, um, I don't think it's too hard to, for them to look at it. It's like, and I, I, I oftentimes Point this out, and it's hard to point this out to to somebody, and, and to keep using the same phrase over and over again. But to say, "Hey, don't fight with me on this. Your problem isn't with me; it's with God." You know, sure. Um, I've heard that this called you know a tactic um, of of being called "What a friend we have in Jesus." You know, you you don't like me? That's fine but your problem really isn't with me and and this nice guy, Jesus, mm-hmm. that you think wouldn't act like this. He's actually the one that tells me to do this. He's the one that calls you out on, on this sin issue. He's the one that says that this is unacceptable. And so sometimes I think that we can, we can remind people, hey, if I wrote the Bible, I might not have put this in there, but I don't write the Bible. I'm not the one that made this rule, okay? I'm just simply trying to walk in obedience to God's word here, and this is what it says. It's not easy. And I think that doing it with humility and meekness and, and I always find myself trying to remind them, hey, I'm a sinner too. I've messed up royally. I've done this I've I've been down this path. I know where you're headed because I've been down that path myself too and I've i rejected that and, and chosen to to follow Christ instead. Um, and if you look at Galatians chapter six, verse one, it says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And I think that sometimes that that meekness is probably going to be the only thing that they can recognize of love at the the moment when you confront them, is that that meekness to say, you know what, I don't want to do this either. You know, (laughs) I'd rather not have this conversation, but this is what the Bible says. And so I'm, I'm walking in obedience to God's word to bring this to you. Um, and I think that sometimes we get the idea of rebuking somebody as, you know, shaking your finger in their face and chewing them up mm-hmm. one side and down the other and cussing them out. That's not what, that's not what we're, we're, we're the biblical mandate to rebuke somebody is rebuke them with meekness. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go, you're not going to go to them and sh- shake your fist in their face and, and get mad at them. You're going to, you're going to go to them in meekness and say, you know what, I'm a sinner
0: too. The, the way you got to think about it is you're dealing with a sick person. How would you treat a sick person that you love? Cause that's what we're, that's what, that's what sin is. Okay. Right. Sin is something that people need help with. And that's the, that's the difficulty. So long as you don't receive any pleasure or joy from doing it, so long as your only goal is to restore such a person because you love them, then you're in the right place. If you find yourself excited or looking forward to telling them their shortcomings, well, then you're not the person to do it. That, you know, you, that's that that, you're in the wrong mindset. But if we can go to them in that manner, thinking this person is sick, I have the opportunity to help them get better. I think that's a good start. Go ahead.
1: What if you find yourself, so it's kind of interesting to be at the beginning of this year, I told, I told, uh, we at the, the beginning of the year, the end of the, the year, we have a, we all sit down put the chairs in a circle at church and we just kind of reflect on the last year, look at the new year and um, you know, think if there's good things, bad things, struggles, whatever it might be that somebody wants to share. And last year there were um, two or three issues. Yeah, there was a few issues that came up in church and I was heavily involved with sorting the issue out. In a couple of cases, I was the one that brought it to the church. And I said, this year is the year that I don't don't get involved. I'm going to leave this up to you guys. You guys deal with it without me because I don't want to be the guy that's the morality police in the church. I don't want to be going around pointing out flaws in people's lives. I don't want to become this person where where, like you said, um, all of a sudden you become you if, if you enjoy doing this and this becomes your your passion, all of a sudden you you find yourself in a bad spot. But I found myself again in a situation where I had to say something. And of course I did pretty much leave it up to others to to handle the situation. But there's there's things that are going to come up where I found myself in a predicament of, oh, do I obey God or do I say, all right, well, this is my year, my year to uh, say, you guys, you guys deal with this without me. And I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and turn, turn a blind eye. And I found myself realizing that I couldn't, you know, there's, there's some situations where I know, and I hate the fact that people are going to look at me this way. I know there's going to be people in our church that say, oh, here goes Caleb again. He found somebody else messing up. You know, he had to bring it up. And I hate that, and so I'm like, nope, I'm not going to say anything, and go. I go on for weeks, and nobody else says anything, and pretty soon, the rumors are going around the community, and I'm hearing it coming back, and I'm like, somebody needs to say something. You know, these guys are, they're headed on the, you know, on the wrong path, and so sometimes, why God allows me to end up in that position again, I don't know. I hate it, and I really, I really want to, I really want to just pass the buck off to somebody else, and maybe I should just. I I don't know. I don't know what the solution is because I I, I don't want to be that guy.
0: What you're explaining to me is the same thing that I think about every time I read one of the books of the prophets. Every time you read through the Bible, you're in the Old Testament, hopefully, so you're learning something, and you're reading about the (laughs) life of a prophet, those guys— are the most impressive guys in the Bible when I read through the Bible. But their Mm -hmm. lives, Caleb, were hands down the most difficult, sometimes miserable lives of anyone in the Bible.
1: God didn't just give them flowery, rosy messages to pass along most.
0: (laughs) Okay, think of this. When you read through Ezekiel, when you read through Jeremiah, when you read through, I think Hosea is another one, You read through some of these, and God tells them, you're going to go and talk to these people, and by the way, they're not going to listen to you. Your whole life has come down to serving God in this one area, and God starts out by telling you, nobody will listen to you. And in Jeremiah's case, you got to remember, Jeremiah was on the team. He loved Israel. He wanted the nation of Israel so badly to follow after God and to love God and to do God's will. And God said, nope, they're not going to do it. And it was heartbreaking to watch that. It seems like anytime time a man of God really wants to do God's will, it's difficult and you do it for the couple of people that God can reach. It's not for the masses. It's for just a few folks that God can reach. And that's all you can do. We don't get to decide. We don't get a say in who listens. We only get a say in whether we're going
1: to obey. It's something that I, I mentioned to one of my friends uh, recently when there was a situation that came up. is I said, it, at times it makes me just want to not go hang out with Christians so much and just not get to know them too much because I have hundreds and hundreds of friends that are not Christians that I can hang out with them and I know their lives are a mess yep. and I don't I don't feel obligated to saying anything to them about it. I know yep. that they're living in sin and I my life can speak of, you know, of the difference between my life and theirs. And I don't really have to open my mouth and always point out the differences, you know. My my goal with them is to share the gospel with them. And so I don't really have to, the first thing I do when I'm sharing the gospel isn't to start pointing out and listing all their sins. They already know their, you know, they already know their life. Absolutely. They, they need to learn the contrast between their life and the hope of, of of the cross. And so it gets easier. But then I was reading, and, and I thought this is interesting that you brought this up. And, and I think this is a, a topic that we've discussed having is conf, uh, Christians trying to hold non-Christians accountable. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the nice thing is, is that we don't have to. But there are times where God sent prophets to go and, and talk to men that were not, and of course, back then it wasn't Christians versus non-Christians, but they, they, he, he was sent to go and talk to evil men, and, and they were sent to give them a message from God to, 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 to let them know that their, their sin was sin. And, and there are times where in preaching the gospel, you do point out, you do depo- you're going to have to point out the evil of the world and the depravity of mankind, so that people can see the, the difference between good and evil. But um, it is it is very interesting that we tend to want to want to take verses like where Jesus sat down with uh, with drunkards or prostitutes or or things like that, and we say, well, if Jesus was okay with it, then we should just be fine with this in the church. Well, that's totally different when you're reaching, you know, you, you can reach out. There's certain people that you can reach out to and extend uh, extend God's mercy to them that are non-Christians. And then um, it changes, and we are supposed to be a little bit more critical of each other as Christians. And I, th- I don't think this just stays within the walls of our own churches. And I think the history goes to prove that we've not done ourselves any favors by ignoring this when there's sin in the camp and we don't, we don't call it out, whether it's the church that we're in or the church across the street. Um, there's scandals that have gone on for years and years and years. And there's been certain branches of of Christianity that didn't deal with this. Uh, The Catholic church is as an example of this, where it went on for years and they didn't ever, they never addressed the situations where, you know, church clergy is, is, you know, sexually uh, molesting children and and terrible things and people turn a blind eye to it. And the, the Protestant church oftentimes just like, Oh, that's a Catholic problem. You know, and we and we turn a blind eye to it, and, and so then it leaves it leaves the heathen, the godless to call out the Catholic Church on their crimes against children, and 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 bring this bring this up rather than other churches having been willing to confront it years ago and say, hey guys, if you're going to call yourself Christians, you can't you, you can't let this slide, you can't cover this up, you got to get this out of you got get this sin out of your camp, and I think that um, we sometimes think that because we end up becoming an element of God's justice or or, or becoming what, some, what people would say is judgmental, you're pointing out somebody's flaw that that's not merciful. But to me, when God chooses to rescue us from our sin, the, the wages of sin is death. And so when God chooses to rescue us from our sin, that's his mercy. When, when God roots out the power of hell that has been unleashed on earth and he rescues us and redeems us from this, that's his mercy on us. And when the church chooses to go back to that and embrace that and allow that inside the, the walls of the church and say nothing about it, we're really rejecting God's mercy. We're rejecting the, the mercy that God's trying to extend in the church to other Christians by us just allowing this 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 sin and the power of Satan, the power of hell, the power of this fallen world to just run rampant in our church and not say anything about it. So in a way sometimes when we do speak the truth and love we're having mercy on somebody by saying hey you know don't choose that path and it doesn't feel merciful at the time but the bible says that no uh no discipline is is pleasant at the time and, mm-hmm. and we have to realize that sometimes church discipline it isn't just going to be the pastor of the church administering it sometimes it is us as fellow believers even outside of the walls of our church calling each other out and saying gotta knock it off you know mm-hmm. what's going on so if 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 Patrick calls me and says, "Hey, uh, I'm going to strip the strip club this weekend. Do you want to go with me?" My conversation with Patrick looks a lot different than my conversation with the neighbor across the street that isn't a Christian. And he says, "Hey, I'm going to the strip club. Do you want to come with me?" I'll, I'll pleasantly decline and say, "No, I'm not. I'm not interested. I don't go to strip clubs." If Patrick says, "Hey, I'm going to the strip club. Do you want to come with me?" I'm gonna like I'm gonna say, "Hey, we no, and we need to sit down and talk." <laughs> You know, because what's going on in your life here? That conversation is naturally, drastically different between a Christian and a non-Christian, and it's just logical that it that it should be. But we oftentimes end up putting ourselves in this in this bind where we think that we have to. You know, well, Jesus sat with with sinners, and Jesus ate with sinners, and so I'm going to eat with sinners. Sinner, sinner, or no sinner, if they're a Christian, if they do fall under under a different category. So, anyways.
0: Well, that was a heck of a way to close up the hour with you having to rebuke me for inviting you to a strip club. (laughs) I appreciated that. I hope I'm glad that's the last thing we talked about. So all of our listeners, if they remember one thing in this hour, it'll be that Caleb said no, when I invited you to. (laughs) Oh brother. All right. Well, We are at the end of the hour. You got any final thoughts?
1: No, uh, there's a verse. I I had it pulled up earlier. For some reason, whenever I I, uh, I restarted my system, I lost it here. But the Bible says that every deed done in darkness shall be exposed. And so one thing that I I told a friend recently, as I said, listen, everybody's going to know eventually Mm -hmm. this is going to come out. If you don't want bad information out there floating around, don't create the bad information in the first place. Me confronting you isn't really the problem with this. Bringing it to the church wasn't the problem. Obviously, I think this is one of the one of the sticking points that we have to have to learn to get past is is learning the difference between loving somebody and loving them enough to be willing to follow a biblical mandate or becoming an accomplice in their sin by us choosing to ignore it because we we don't want to be the bad guy. We want to be the nice guy. So I think that Patrick would be the accomplice if his sexually immoral friends that are fornicating and living together come, come to his house and eat with him. And the Bible says not to, and he continues to do this. Patrick becomes part of the problem. And so it's, it's a simple... To me, it's just—it's a simple thing to look at and say, "All right, I don't want to be an accomplice. I'm going to follow God and walk in obedience, no matter how messy it is, no matter how much how many friends I may lose." Um. Anyways, you guys can chime in here in the comments and 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 point out how this is wrong, uh, if you if you can find verses to back it up. I would I would love to find those because I've been looking for outs for years now. So if I can find one, congratulations. <laughs> just one.
0: Just give me one verse, so I don't have to do this. Yeah. No kidding. (laughs) We'll see you next Sunday. Everyone have a good week and, uh, yeah, keep thumping that Bible. Bye-bye.